see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot, paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. The beginning of a new world. <laughs> the best squawk you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is, is the Black Cat Report. See you on the other side. Jane and her boyfriend Richard were driving around late one Saturday night when suddenly Richard began to feel extremely sick and barely got the car pulled over before he immediately fainted. Before Jane could react, an incredibly bright light surged from deep within the nearby forest and filled every inch of the car, leaving Jane completely paralyzed. Suddenly, Jane and Richard found themselves driving again, but miles away from where the incident happened and having no clue how they got there. It was late. It was the summer of 1967 in Huntington, New York, specifically in an area called Mount Misery. There was, at the time, what's known in the UFO community as a flap, a term used to describe when UFO sightings suddenly increase, typically clustered in the same general area over a consistent period of time. A few days later, Jane received a phone call. And while she could tell it was a woman's voice on the other end, it sounded metallic. She was told to go to the library and request a specific book on Native American history. Once she had it, she was to read very carefully the content of page 42. So, the next morning, she did as she was told, arriving at the library only to find it completely empty besides a single librarian with black hair, black eyes, olive skin, and quote, an old-fashioned suit like something out of the 1940s with a long skirt broad shoulders, and flat, old-looking shoes. Without hesitation, this strange librarian handed her the exact book she had been ordered to get. Jane took a seat and flipped the book to page 42. The words began growing, and then shrinking, before rearranging into a message that she proceeded to write down. Good morning, friend. You have been selected for many reasons. One is that you are advanced in auto-suggestion. Through this silence, we will make contact. I have messages concerning Earth and its people. The time is set. Fear not. I am friend. For reasons best known to ourselves, you must make your contacts known to one reliable person. To break this code is to break contact. Proof shall be given. Notes must be kept of the suggestion state. Be in peace. What the fuck? <laughs> when she finally lifted her head up, she realized the library was completely empty. No librarian. No one. She grabbed her things and ran out. Oh my god. I would have just been like, no. Goodbye. <laughs> well, shortly after, she began feeling sick. She started vomiting and developed a fever lasting for days. And if that wasn't enough, the same woman in black, the librarian ended up appearing and then reappearing near Jane all over town, every time with a piercing smile resting on a seemingly dead face. Welcome everyone to episode 9 of the Black Cat Report. It's no mystery that throughout history there have been strange events, but strange events can often lead to stranger encounters, more so, as we'll soon find. When you reach into the reasons, sometimes they reach back. Today, we'll be covering women in black my name is gil and i'm here with joey you and betsabe hello unfortunately selena had a run-in with a woman in black and is a little under the weather but 
is quickly recovering. Now, before we continue with Jane's story and read through some more cases, I wanted to give a quick primer on some of the key things to keep an eye out for. The women in black, or WIB, tend to all have similar appearances, behaviors, and strange effects. Wearing noticeably out-of-date clothing that looks brand new, the WIBs are almost always described as either pasty white or having a deep olive complexion with incredibly dark, almond-shaped eyes that sometimes have a faint red glow. They have long, straight, unnaturally black hair that many assume to be a wig, as well as thin, nearly non-existent lips and a very pointed chin. True to the behavior of their counterparts, the men in black, aka MIB, their speech is marked by intrusive questions, commanding tones, and weird, unnatural phrasing. Picture a, um, a monotone woman drill sergeant on acid. That's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So are these people, like, are they working for the government, or they're, like, their own company, or...? That's the question. So, lastly, their effects on people. Now, if you're unlucky enough to encounter one of them, you'll notice you lose your willpower. At least, mostly. You see, it's not enough to say, don't open your door, don't answer the phone, don't get into the car. You will what they want. And the physical sickness you'll be feeling as you're in their presence will only be overpowered by the deep sense of terror rushing through you. So, it is in the combination of the appearance, behavior, and effects that we will find and define a common thread connecting them so closely to a motivation that, in my opinion, these maidens of high strangeness serve as power brokers to the paranormal and the occult, acting along with the MIB as a sort of baleful, malevolent mob that is dead set on monitoring, hushing, and preventing a wider exposure to what lies behind the veil. Past this point, however, speculation about who or what they are runs rampant. Time travelers, aliens, alien hybrids, demons, gargoyles, banshees, pretty much anything but a regular human. And as one final but very important note, our primary source today will be The Women in Black by the incredible and prolific author Nick Redfern. Links to his website and where you can find and buy the book will be listed in the show notes. It's a fun read, and there are so much more things to all of these stories than we'll be able to cover in today's episode. Now, with all that said, let's get back to Jane and that weirdo stalker librarian. So when we left off, Jane had made contact with a light coming from the woods, received a mysterious phone call demanding she read a specific part of a book, became incredibly sick, and is now realizing she is being stalked by a weirdo librarian. Well, at one point, in a department store, Jane finally tried to talk to the woman in black. She immediately regretted it. It's a quote from Nick Redfern's book, Women in Black. From what Jane said, the WIB seemed downright zombified. She moved in a jerky, juddering fashion. Her eyes stared with malevolence, and her words made little sense. It was as if she were dead. Jane asked if she lived locally. The WIB replied with nothing but a wailing, crone-like, hysterical laugh. Then, the woman asked a most curious question. Is there any AU here? End quote. Jane was 
understandably confused, at which point the woman simply turned around and walked away. <laughs> like, she, rude. She, she was just saying, hey, you. <laughs> hey, you. Hey, you, get over here. <laughs> well, Sony, hey, you. <laughs> well, as a quick note here for folks that might be rusty on chemistry, AU is the abbreviation for gold in the periodic table. So she was like, are you gold? Well, no. She asked, like, is there any gold here? Again, it... What this... kind of question? That's so random. <laughs> she's like from the 18... She's like, what, from the 1600s? She's like, gold rush! 1800, something like that. She's like, it's the gold rush times. Hey, you. Is that just, like, so random? <laughs> get, get, get ready for more of that. So, I mean, this... um. High strangeness is a very difficult thing to to define, right? Something I would love to work on actually defining, categorizing. But but in a, as a whole, high strangeness is kind of gets thrown around as this term, right? But really, the best way to understand it is just constantly and consistently, every sort of expectation is just flipped on its head, but in the most subtle ways possible. Like the dumbest, most subtle things are just off to the point that if you're one of the folks that are experiencing it, you feel like you're having a meltdown. You feel like you're going crazy. You're like, what is going on right now? Like this, it, you just don't expect it. But it's it's this consistent, this persistent state of these situations that are happening that you realize that as a whole, something is happening and that in a very loose sense defines high strangeness so as we get into these stories and dig a little bit deeper expect them to get weird expect to hear what it sounds like to be slipping into madness but understand that these situations happen so much with so many different people and in so many specifically connected situations that the high strangeness is more likely than the individual's madness. Back to the story. Anyways, the next day, Jane, having recovered from feeling sick, was taking an early morning walk, undoubtedly trying to make heads or tails of what the hell had been going on. Appearing from the shadows of a still dark alley, the same woman in black appeared. Peter is coming. Why are you interested in our mount? Peter is coming very soon. Suddenly, a black Cadillac stopped next to them. A rear door opened, and a man who looked identical to the driver came out of the rear passenger door. With an unsettling grin on his face, he reached out and shook her hand, saying, I am a pool. His hand felt notably cold and dead. Wasting no time, a pool proceeded to hand Jane an envelope with a quarter-sized metallic disc in it. Jane, who had been in a daze this whole time, announced to the tool, seemingly without control, that she's going to mail this envelope to somebody, never saying who. The pair of spooks grinned. The black Cadillac pulled up, they got in, and left. This someone was John Keel, and when he received the envelope in the mail, there was, quote, an old envelope with a nameless ID tag. He mailed it back to Jane, and when she received it, she discovered it reeked like sulfur and the coin had turned black. Now, the story has a lot going on in it. 
but it displays a few important things along with classic high strangeness. <clears throat> the MIB slash WIB are notorious for showing up during UFO flaps and periods of time when an area is experiencing a high level of paranormal activity, such as in the Mount Misery area. The strange phone call, the complete loss of willpower coupled with becoming sick, the out-of-era black suits and black Cadillac, the smell of sulfur, the corpse-like hand, and what can be assumed as being a reference to what many believe is the final pope, Pope Peter. It's so random. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I don't know, if I was, like, the person just experiencing all this, I'd be like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> like, stop following me. I mean, his name was a pool. At first, I thought he was just like, my name's a pool. <laughs> nice to meet you. It's like, well, that's I thought he was name? looking for a pool. Yeah, I thought he was looking for a pool. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. He I was mean. cold, and he maybe he wanted a hot tub. Maybe he didn't know the word for hot tub, and he was like, cold. And he was like, I need to get in the hot tub. Because, you know, they're high strangeness. <laughs> so, and they're so weird that maybe he's just like, hot tub, pool. That is that pool. is not. That is hot. So, as a person, like, as a human, are they aware? Like, even though they're doing what they're being told to do, are they still aware that it's happening and it's weird? And and they're just, like, doing it still? Well, okay, so, uh, and uh, I've heard Nick Redfern, the author of the book that we're, you know, citing a lot here, um, uh, I've heard him in interviews, right, um, kind of, like, talk about this with experiences with women in black and men in black, is that, to to do my best to summarize a bunch of interviews I've listened to, um, people are, like, aware, but it's kind of like all of a sudden you become a puppet, and you're, like, on strings, and you're doing it. But you have this, like, you have this, like, overwhelming, like, sickness feeling and this feeling of terror that's over you, where you're, like, you're afraid to not do what they're telling you. Again, you know, like, early on I said it's kind of like a, a drill sergeant that's on acid and, like, you're a fresh recruit in boot camp. Like, you're going to listen <laughs> to them, but you're also, like, what do you mean blue macaroni? <laughs> You know, you're just like, what? I, I'm going to try to make it, Sarge, I swear. You know, like, you're trying, you know. But, like, it's, it's, it's a mind control that you're aware of, if that makes sense. Yeah. And half the time it kind of seems like these folks, and, and I'm totally just jumping in here with guessing, but half the time it kind of seems like these folks are, like, slipping in and out of being aware of doing it. It's almost like... Um, your your non-executive functions are kind of like taken over where it's just like you answer the phone call even though you normally wouldn't. You answer the door even though you normally wouldn't. But you don't think about it when you're doing it. It's like something just cuts past your fear and your common sense and you just start doing it. And on and to on the on next on chilling, the next story. chilling story. story. Our second story begins with us um, in Point Pleasant, West Virginia and the nearby towns in Southeast Ohio. Between November 15th, 1966, and December 15th, 1967, the people in this area were being almost terrorized by not only the appearance of the now legendary Mothman, but the surrounding high strangeness its sightings brought with it. 
A man by the name of John Keel was hard at work documenting these events. He was trying to hunt down the cryptid and was regularly interviewing the growing number of witnesses frightened by this massive gray creature with glowing red eyes and a 10-foot wingspan. This work ultimately would lead up to him forever immortalizing this period of time when he wrote the book The Mothman Prophecies, which is literally nothing like the movie. Um, at Durable Boy did not get it right. <laughs> what, what's funny too is they actually meant mention they go the news reporter goes and interviews in quotations the author that had all this stuff. So like I think the author was actually in the movie, wasn't he? He was the guy that um Richard Richard Gear Richard Gear yeah Richard Gear goes and sees in Chicago or something like that. Or, I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's the actual author. Suppose it's supposed not maybe the actual author, yeah. but it's supposed to be the author author type yeah person in it yeah because he's the one that that writes about it but yeah. then he's like stop searching mm-hmm. yeah but like john keel was um the actual like author this person who who showed up you know boots on the ground there's this giant winged mothman creature that's showing up near the tnt power plant and stuff like that <laughs> and terrorizing everybody scaring everybody attacking cars and shit um someday we'll do an episode on him swear but but anyways, John Keel actually like showed up and was like, I am here. I'm basically moved here at this time. I am interviewing folks. I'm finding folks. I'm documenting this. Like, we owe so much to him <laughs> in terms of like the Mothman and recording these events because he just stopped life, went there, and was like, this is my thing now, um, and put it into an incredible book that just straight up became the legacy of those events, you know? So, anyways, uh, well, as time went on, Keel became known for having an honest, non-judgmental approach when interviewing witnesses, some of whom still shaken by their encounter. Naturally, this helped people feel more comfortable coming forward and encouraged others fearful of ridicule to do the same. But this trust earned by Keel quickly became a vulnerability one he nearly missed until he was tipped off by a strange line in a letter written to him by a friend in Ohio. Quote, As I told your secretary when she was here, dot dot dot, Keel didn't have a secretary. But what he did have was the shadow of a woman in black following him for months. Going door to door, claiming to be his secretary in order to gain entry into people's homes to quote Keel, most of whom I had never mentioned in print. Once in, she would pull out a clipboard and start asking intrusive questions. I mean... Do you have a pool? (laughs) (laughs) How money do you make how much? And your cars how many? Your family where is from? What about health? Tell me about it. Yours? When you saw the UFO, did the speed color change with? Along with these fake secretary incidences with some very strange questions behind them, (laughs) there was also a number of census takers that were also popping up in the areas that Keel would eventually find out were going to people um, that he hadn't interviewed. And because those folks didn't know who John Keel was, the same people, or same person, with the same clipboard and the same weird questions were showing up all around this area 
during the almost exactly year-long period of sightings and high strangeness happening in this area. So, they didn't speak English. They did. I mean, like, proper English. They, yeah, not proper. <laughs> Grammarly would have a field day with them. By the way, Grammarly, please reach out to us. We need to get sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like, if someone shows up, like, speaking like that, why is no one like, where are you from? Well, you know, they have a slight, that's the thing, though. So, like, they, the person supposedly had a slight southern accent. And I totally just, like, in terms of the exact questions, I totally just kind of insinuated, like, what the types of questions were based off of how the men in black and the women in black generally talk in areas where they are directly quoted. Um, but. They could just be robots. They could be. Um, but this is where we kind of like fall into again, like motivation. So one of the biggest questions is, is, you know, what are they? Are they gargoyles? Are they banshees? Are they time travelers? Are they aliens? Are they alien hybrids? Are they, you know, you know, are they alien hybrids trying to be an alien? That's also trying to be a human, you know, like what is, I'm a dude playing another dude dressed as another dude, you know, like what is going on? Great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, but, but so like, what the fuck, you know, like, and this, this, everything with high strangeness just comes out to like, what the fuck you can either take it in two ways you can hear these things and you'd be like wow this person's losing their mind like jane sounds crazy you know like you can take it that way or you could take it from if you suspend your disbelief for a moment and just be like what if this did happen you know like how would i feel what would that mean what would da 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 mean and with the just hundreds hundreds, if not thousands of events that are all kind of concentrated in a similar area, right? This as a phenomenon, the men in black, the women in black, um, it begs the question, if this is taking place and these people's stories are real, like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, what are these people? If, if we can understand who they are, maybe we can understand what they want. But what the fuck? You know? So, are they still sightings of them, or when was the last sighting? There's still sightings, not in this book and not in this outline, but um, sightings do take place. Uh, I have heard as recently as, oh, shoot, it would have been uh, uh, 2018 was one of the most recent sightings that I heard about, and that was actually at a UFO conference where multiple people started noticing um, a woman in black appearing and like this woman was not participating in anything and it was very strange so maybe she was somebody that couldn't afford a ticket but was a really huge fan you know i'm just out there messing with people that'd be cool i mean i would do that but like but also like it kind of fits the you know it kind of fits the narrative it's the it's the mo right the modus operandi like so i, I don't know that would be a really cool Halloween costume. Yeah, I think they just missed the cosplayers one by a week, cosplayers <laughs> convention by a week, and they were just like really confused of like why is no one dressed up? They're kind of aliens, but I've never seen that show. <laughs> they were stuck at work to like they had to work that Saturday during the X Files convention, and then yeah. all of a sudden they were like, "I'll make it up next week." Yeah, <laughs> you know. 
Maybe. So, so being one of the people that's been to Point Pleasant and been there, so my old band played a show there, and we went there, and we're playing a show in this random place, and I think that it was like a restaurant, and the venue was above the restaurant, and the restaurant was called like Hell's Gate or something, something weird, the venue was called Hell's Gate or something weird like that, and it was like, oh, it's creepy, and so we didn't know think anything about the time but these two people who like looked really out of place at the show they were just young young people like compared to all these old people in the like the place yeah hipsters (laughs) and so we 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 talked to them because they're kind of out of place after we finished and they're like well don't you guys know about this place and we're like no we we haven't i haven't heard about this oh baby joey and then they (laughs) said uh this is where the mothman was and so you know, I hadn't read the book or anything, but I saw the movie and I was like, oh, no way. No way. It's here. <laughs> and so it's like three in the morning. Like right finish. now, he's just like in the back yeah. of the room signing autographs. Just kind of just like. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, just making... just like throwing them oh, out weird. there. Yeah. $10 a pop. Yeah. <laughs> and so we we go Don't down photos. <laughs> sorry no photos. we go downtown and like at three and four you know it's obviously you know streets are empty in such a small town too in it and it, it's kind of almost it's almost like right on the river this yeah. weird town so it's, it's on the river um and we were out in the middle of the night so 3 a.m and like this it's just there's just something about this a town. vibe it's a vibe and yeah, it's so that's a vibe creepy it's so creepy. It gives you the chills just walking downtown. There's nobody there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, I, and no, no, no offense to, like, Point Pleasant, but but that creep vibe is the same vibe I get. Not the same visual. It's, it's, a, it's a cute little quaint place, but the same kind of vibe, the same aesthetic I get when I'm walking through a cemetery. Honestly, that, that like yeah. it's the same kind of Hair like the raises, feeling of just yeah. kind of like seeing the tombstones like around you and stuff. Even if you're not focusing on them, that's kind of the vibe I got going through Point Pleasant. Thank you so much for listening to the Black Cat Report and our spine tingling episode on the women in black. Will Smith ain't getting jiggy with these women. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Doing so will keep the WIB at bay. Now enjoy the rest of the podcast. Our next story brings us right up to the doors of the White House to potentially our most paranoid president, Richard Nixon. Now, for our younger audience and those taught history through standardized testing in America, in order for you to get a better idea of just who Nixon was, or if you need an update on Nixon's character, I would like to refer you to Season 2, Episode 3 of the incredible documentary, Futurama. Quote, Well, listen here, Missy. Computers may be twice as fast as they were in 1973, but your average voter is a drunk and stupid as ever. The only one who's changed is me. I've become bitter, let's face it, crazier over the years. And once I'm swept into office, I'll sell your children's organs to zoos for meat, and I'll go into people's houses at night and wreck up the place. End quote. So, joking aside, 
Um, he was a corrupt monster who ordered the bombing of Cambodia, killing an estimated 100,000 civilians and further doing unjustifiable damage to the people of Laos, who are still suffering today. Please look it up. Also, there's the whole Watergate thing. Anyways, back to the women in black. Well, in either a display of we can reach you or a completely well-performed lie that fooled topped investigators for no reason, we're brought to a little-known case of Mrs. Shirley Cromarty, as reported in the Philadelphia Inquirer article October 23, 1971. Quote, Miami Associated Press. A part-time housekeeper at President Nixon's key Basquiat retreat has testified she was put into a hypnotic daze by a stranger who told her to shoplift four dresses. Shirley Cromarty, 32, and a mother of three pleaded no contest and was given a suspended sentence after law enforcement officers and a psychiatrist testified they believe she was telling the truth. Mrs. Cromarty holds a security clearance to work in the Florida White House, according to testimony. She said a woman met her in a parking lot and asked the time, then ordered her to take the items and bring them to her. Mrs. Cromarty testified she fell into a daze when the young woman released a jasmine-like scent from her left hand. She was told to take the dresses for her children. Mrs. Cromarty said, I just sort of lost my will. I was, it was terrifying. It was a terrifying experience. She told Metro Court Judge Frederick Bard, the mysterious woman as described as young, attractive, and wearing a wig. Judge Bard said, this is all so bizarre. I'm frightened at what could happen to the president. Mrs. Cromarty joined the key Basquiat White House housekeeping staff about a year ago, according to the FBI, Leo Canarin. He testified her background was impeccable. Dr. Albert Jaslow, a psychiatrist, said he examined her and found she could be hypnotized quickly and easily and believe she was telling the truth. This case stands out not because of the way that the woman was identified. She wasn't specifically said to be wearing black, but because of her effects, the behavior, and the very strange demands that she made on the housekeeper. For starters, the way Shirley lost her willpower. As we've already seen in Jane's story, encounters with the WIB and MIB often involve long periods of time where one's willpower is taken from them as they act in an almost zombified way to these strangers' commands. Looking at the chain of events as she testified, she not only reached a state of hypersuggestibility when talking with the WIB in the parking lot, but was actually suggestible or influenced long enough to then turn around go into a store, pick out four dresses, and then attempt to leave before finally being caught. Second, for the MIB and the WIB, it is a long-standing stereotype that when you first make contact with them, they ask you what time it is. Now, for people that believe these mysterious figures are actually time travelers, they relate this question to being a strange way of them asking literally, what decade? Or, what date is it? Kind of like, what are the times? Oh, it makes sense. Yeah, and and while this phrase is really weird, all the MIB slash WIB phrasing is really weird. So it kind of like fits in that whole narrative, right? Um, but regardless, I think for someone as notoriously paranoid as Tricky Dick Nixon, who was literally ordering everybody around him to be wiretapped, 
and who was being wiretapped by almost everyone around him, it's not a far reach to assume that if somebody wanted to display that they could get to him, brainwashing someone who has regular access to his home would be a very quick way to get his attention. Again, it was enough that the judge in charge of the case said, this is also bizarre that I am frightened at what could happen to the president. You got to think, this is a pretty high, like, high-profile case for this judge. He's just down there. He's in Florida. All of a sudden, like, one of the president's housekeepers is in front of him for shoplifting. And then he has to start hearing testimonies. And then she comes out with some stuff like a lady held out a jasmine scent inside of a vial. And I was convinced to go shoplifting. Like, what do you do? Yeah, like, that sounds so fake. (laughs) And then you have, like, multiple people, including a professional psychiatrist, come to you and be like, I believe her. Like, what do you do in that situation? So, thinking about this, it's like, this woman in black literally comes up to somebody in the parking lot, and she says, she's thinking, because she's, like, dressed in black, and she's like, you know what would really look good on you? You should go buy some little black dresses. (laughs) and so she literally convinces this lady to go in and so they were for the for her not for the woman in black they were for the other lady the woman in black told her to to get the dresses bring them back and then said that they're for the woman's daughters which is again kind of in line with like the weird phrasing and like how the women in black communicate where it's just like what the and weird what the effort are you talking about weird that she knew Stupid. Of all the things that you can make someone do, mm-hmm. like shoplifting. But that's but that's it's also strangeness. But that's also kind of like again, if you're if you're gonna make a move that is just subtle enough to get somebody like Richard Nixon's attention, where you know he is so paranoid. paranoid. Be he nice. is so paranoid. He is watching everything. Also, like you also got to keep in mind, this is before Watergate fully got let out into the press so like he's aware he's in on a very contentious basis and if anybody finds out his dirty work he's like screwed so like this guy is super paranoid drunk all the time hyper racist just wanted to throw that in there seriously look it up he's some disgusting tapes um but like anyways you know so like he's watching anything that has to do with his name and if one of his housekeepers get arrested for shoplifting he's going to notice it and it's something so benign and so weird but also so in character with the mib with the wib right with the women in black um that it like it fits you know where it's just like we're not gonna go in there and be like oh nukes like nuke codes changed overnight or anything we're not gonna do anything that will make national news but we're gonna make it so it hits the news in a way you see it just just enough. And when you really, again, in a paranoid state, realize that you are sleeping in this house down in Florida, and we can get to one of your housekeepers and get her to do something she would never do. Sleep well at night tonight, man. Uh... Like, like it's so <laughs> perfect. It's so perfect it's to just thing. get to somebody, you know, like without making troll. waves. If they made waves, national news, international news, everybody would be investigating who did this. So they just want to be famous. Just a little bit. Just keep it in the local papers. And, and, you know? to be, and, and to be fair, a president was just assassinated not that long before he yeah. was there. So he's 
there's a lot to be like, oh, well, somebody's looking at the presidency again, you know, because yeah. it wasn't that long before Nixon that a president mm-hmm. was assassinated, JFK. You know, the next story. Now for an even stranger, more famous tale. On the night of September 11th, 1967, in Orchard Beach, Maine, Dr. Herbert Hopkins, who had been looking into and studying the experiences of an alien abductee that lived nearby, heard a loud knock at the door. Upon opening it, there stood a tall, pasty man in black, with bright red lips and black eyes, looking pissed as fuck. Wasting no time, he told the doctor to immediately stop his research. Then, in an odd move, proceeded to tell the doctor to take one of the two coins out of his pocket and hold it in his hand, and do not look away. He did. And as he watched, the coin began changing colors, turning into a bluish haze before turning into a vapor and then completely disappearing. The man in black then told him something to the tune of, It would be a shame if something similar happened to your heart. <laughs> he then turned around, and just like the coin, vanished. Oh, come on! Like, okay, okay, so cheesy, first of all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, this was 1967, so it was before it was considered cheesy. <laughs> I mean, like, that's so ridiculous. And before he left, he said, also, my name's David Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> Who's David Blaine? He's the magician, the street musician. Oh, he's like a mind freak, freak, where he's a Chris, Chris Angel. Mind freak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it could, David Blaine or Chris Angel. It's probably Chris Angel, to be fair. He was <gasps> just David like... David Blaine is Chris Angel. <laughs> Shit. David Angel. This is why my phone's Chris been Blaine. dropping calls. <laughs> I know too much. But he turned around. Like, he just looked at him, turned around. And this is what I think happened. He's, you know, he said, what if this happens to your heart? And the guy's like, oh, shit. And he goes, just kidding. Yeah, I'm in a prank show with uh, Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher, you got And then he just... Brought to you by Polaroid. Brought to you by Polaroid. And they just, like, disappeared from reality. And we're like, damn, this must be the future TV. They just go back in time and, and screw with people. I know. Oh, that would be pretty awesome. Fuck. You guys just gave, like, literally the most solid reason why time travel will never exist. Because if it does exist... It's gonna be trolls. We Yeah, we will become a reality TV show. Yep. Yeah, yep. and, like, the cutting edge of a reality TV show is admitting that you're a reality TV show. Like, that will be eventually the way to really hype it up to like become even more extreme than the last series but also if you're oh my god we just discovered a complex this is why time travel doesn't exist if time travel existed especially if america was still a country and we still had our quote-unquote values um we would try to exploit it to become a reality tv show but in our hyper capitalistic system we would keep compounding I'm better than you, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, and we would keep getting more and more extreme. But if we got more and more extreme, eventually people from the future would literally just be coming back to the past be like, I'm from the future! And just like screaming in our faces and, you know, us in the past future or whatever the fuck. Um, And that's why time travel doesn't exist. Shit, it makes sense. I got an idea though. I I got another thing. What if we're not a comedy? We're a drama. Ooh. 
damn. Like a like a We're just a telenovela. That would just make so much more sense. Damn. Like season (gasps) twenty twenty took a huge turn. Season twenty twenty and season twenty twenty one just yeah, like Oh my god. It they were just like this this is gold. Let's just let them live it out. We don't even need to interfere anymore. Yeah. What if like different like fractals and like dimensions, you know what I'm saying? Different parallel universes, multiverses, if you will. Um, what if those are different seasons of the same show? It sounds painful. Sounds like us now, man. Well, it would be like those it would be like those it, it would be like those choose your own adventure books, you know? Like yeah, those goosebump books back in the day when you're uh, like sitting there and you're not? reading and you just go choose whether i open the door or not or whether i walk away they had bernie you, sanders on chapter three again and you would they still always, didn't choose it well that's voting so <laughs> they would go and look at the door and be like hey eh, i died okay go back to the other one i gotta choose the door trump would they, be hilarious then they just chose the door that door and they're like well hey whatever let's just go and go we will to the next story And while that story is one you'll quickly find when you first start learning about the MIB, what's not often told is the weird situation that transpires with Dr. Hopkins' son, John, and his wife, Maureen, 13 days later. On the night of September 24th, at around 7.30pm, the phone rang. Maureen picked up. And in between the crackling and buzzing noises, a high-pitched voice started to come through. I am friend of friend of John Hopkins. My name is Bill Post. I am from Conway, New Hampshire. My companion and I, Bill Post, would like to meet you at McDonald's now. Okay, so I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking scammers nowadays are basically them or they were just like scammers because that's literally how they sound like whenever I get an email or a text. That's how they sound, like freaking scammers. It's so hard to be a men in black or woman in black these days. Because they're just like scammers. Every Nigerian prince is just stealing your bit. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, anyway, so... <laughs> so, Maureen looks over to John, and John agrees. That they're scammers? No, he, he, agrees, scam. he agrees to go meet them at McDonald's. Oh my god, why? <laughs> they head over to the nearest McDonald's and see Bill Post and his female companion, whose name ends up being Jane, Post, <laughs> sitting in a car with temporary New Jersey plates. John greeted them and told them to follow him back to his and Maureen's house. By the time they made it back, though, Bill and Jane were already there waiting for them. While the situation was already strange, it wasn't until John and Maureen got a closer look that they realized how off these people were. Both Bill and Jane were in their early to mid-thirties and wearing black clothing that had been out of style for decades. Bill had his hair slicked down in an old-timey way, and Jane had an unnaturally thin line of bright red lipstick where her lip should be. So, like, they're steampunkers. Yeah, with no lips. <laughs> um, both of them walked awkwardly, almost like penguins shuffling 
leaning forward as they went into the house, and they both had ears that were set way too far back on their heads. Once inside and setting down, Bill began grilling John about his relationship with his father. How often do you talk to your father, Dr. Hopkins, Mr. John Hopkins? Uh, I don't know. We're both pretty busy and stuff. Maybe like two, three times. But that's cool. What does Dr. Hopkins talk to you about? Uh, um, just life? Uh, how we're doing? Seriously, tell me what he says to you. I guess we talk about the war. It's, it's pretty big news right now. The sky is very clear tonight. You are going to be an amateur radio. Wait, what? Am I doing this or- Whoa! Hey, um, uh... And it was at that moment in the conversation that Bill began fondling Jane in front of them. Okay. With John and Maureen both in shock, Bill and Jane simply stood up and walked out of the house. They shuffled out of the house. <laughs> yes, actually, I think that's, like, literally a quote. So... <laughs> Obviously an awkward ending, but this... Wait, I thought they were in McDonald's. No, they went back to their house. Yeah, they went back to the house. They brought strangers into their home. Yeah, they were (laughs) under a control. So, again, this kind of does break down some of the ideas around, like, the women in black. Wait, so they left their own house? Well, they left the house, went and met them at McDonald's, and then told them, like, hey, follow us back to our house. But then when they got to their house, they were already at the house. They all went inside, sat down, and then um, John proceeded to get grilled, right, by Bill Post. And being like, tell me everything, tell me da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then he started fondling, like, Jane right in front of him. And Wait, who started fondling who? Bill Post started fondling Jane Post. Oh. Yeah. Basically. So, okay, cool. So, I mean, so literally, this... to get their name, he was just like, what's your name? John! Post. Yes, John Post. Yeah. <laughs> like literally looking at a post. That is so funny, but so stupid and so weird. So and this, I'm just like, what? We we have to do an episode on this, and I don't... All right, so some folks believe, especially with the tie to the abductees experience with John Post, or with John Post, <laughs> um, with John Hopkins's father, Dr. Hopkins, um, who was studying a uh, an alien abductee, right, that was living nearby, and he was visited by men in black who held out a coin, it evaporated, da-da-da, threats, all that stuff like that, and then his son shows up, and his son, um, or sorry, his son, gets visited by a man in black, uh, looking similar with a lady in black. And um, the guy starts asking him, you know, like, what do you know? What do you talk with your father about? Da, 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 da. That kind of makes sense if they're trying to, like, you know, follow up with potentially, like, loose ties, loose ends around the story. Like, we don't want anybody hearing about this abduction, right? Um, so this all kind of goes into a conspiracy, goes into a theory about um, women in black and men in black being alien hybrids, right? So the basic idea, and it, it goes back to, like, women in black, men in black, they're notorious for not knowing how to eat food, 
how to like use utensils, right? So like you give them jello and you give them a drink and they sit there and they take the spoon and try to put it into the drink and they try to drink the jello. Like just like weird crap happening when you're hanging out with them, right? It makes sense why they would want to meet a McDonald's because they're just like, we don't know food. <laughs> yeah, everything is hands here. <laughs> um, so like, so there's a theory that runs with uh hybridization alien hybridization right that you know aliens come down here they extract semen they extract eggs they strengthen their dna yada 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 um but then what happens is the hybrid babies are born but then they can't necessarily relate to their alien parents right and they can't necessarily relate to their human parents. So they're kind of stuck in this weird limbo of this, like, super, like, hyper-advanced race of whatever the hell it is, right? Trying to understand us primitive motherfuckers. And they have to come down here and they have to learn really, really, really basic things because they're kind of stuck in this in-between. So this awkward situation with, um, with Bill and with Jane Post, assumedly, is when he literally started fondling her and he asked, am I doing this right? He literally was like, am I doing this right? He couldn't understand. He's like, we need to reproduce, but we don't know how to reproduce. Oh, it's kind of sad. Mm, <laughs> I know, like they don't know how to do anything. <laughs> yeah, the babies. <laughs> but like, you know, because like their their alien parents are like, yeah, we just go peep loop, and then we like poke our fingers, and then everything's cool, you know. But then they're like, that ain't how our bodies work, mama. You know, so like, you know? they never had to talk the birds and the bees with their kids. Yeah, and they the gleep glops like... and the gleep glops, and and they're like, but my gleep glop doesn't doop doop, and like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but it, it lends itself to the theory of, like, is this an alien hybrid? Like, are these two alien hybrids? This also goes back to the fact that, like, in this very famous situation with Dr. Hopkins, um, he was studying an abductee. What almost always, always, always happens with uh, alien abductees, right, is... They get um, whatever the hell their body produces for sexual reproduction, like, taken out of them, right? They have some sort of experience where it's just, like, eggs or sperm, something comes out of them, right? And it's often tied to a whole narrative around, like, alien hybridization and reproduction programs and yada, 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 yada. So if the men in black, if the women in black are showing up to protect an alien hybridization program, right? Is that what the case is? Or does it go back to the um, the demonic traits, the sulfur, the this, the that, the other, right? Or does it go back to just a, a general sense of like an alternative kind of like a control basis that's happening within the government of maybe time travelers coming back from a f and affecting the future? There's... There's stories that go back to people that are studying, like, King Arthur. There's stories of men in black that go back to um, people trying to discover the Philosopher's Stone and a man in black coming back and showing them, um, basically, like, this is how you make gold and only giving them a limited supply to make the gold, right? There's uh, cases where there might be a woman that turns into a gargoyle. <laughs> like, there's there's so many stories, again, in... in um, 
Nick Redfern's book, The Women in Black, there's so many situations, so many stories. It goes all over the place, but like the one thing that kind of like connects across the board is that they're weird as hell. They don't have lips. They don't know how the hell to speak right. Um, and like anytime they show up, you don't have a choice. You just get affected by them. Thank you so much for listening to the Black Cat Report and our episode on the women in black. We hope you enjoyed it and keep following the phenomenon. You can find us on Instagram at the Black Cat Report. Please also keep sending us show ideas to contact at blackcat.report. And always remember to like, review, and subscribe. See you on the other side.